welcome to the Ransom World Battleground, where we dive into the world of cybersecurity and hear firsthand from those that are deep in the fight to protect your data and peace of mind. Think your network is secure? Let's check out how secure you really are with this week's chat. Ransomware and eSports. I'm joined today with Paul Fredrickson, cybersecurity consultant, and Nigel LeBlanc, CEO and founder of Cyber Warrior Network. Connecting cyber pros to cyber roles using CyberWraith, the first cyber gaming universe that leads to real world jobs. I'm your host and moderator, Sia Yasutornrat. Before we get started, I've got to give a shout out to our sponsor, Airgap, the best defense against ransomware. With a zero trust isolation platform, Airgap confines ransomware to a single device. Put an end to the threat propagation and protect your infrastructure in minutes, not months. And now, let's enter the battleground. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Ransomware Battleground. My name is Sia, and I am joined today with my illustrious cohort, cohort co-host, which was the better term? Paul, which one do you like better? How about co-host? <laughs> partner in crime? No? Partner in crime. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. Partner in crime, Paul Fredrickson. Hi, Hello. Paul. Hello. <laughs> and today we are joined, we're doing a very special series today, uh, actually series uh, on the Ransomware Battleground. Uh, if you guys are very aware, there's this thing called eSports that has just blown up the pandemic. Let's be honest, accelerated a lot of the interest and desire in this uh, really fast growing industry within the whole gaming and video game industry. So I asked a very good friend of mine and a few a podcast host, uh, Mr. Nigel LeBlanc. Nigel is the founder and CEO at Cyber Warrior Network. Nigel, welcome to the Ransomware Battleground. Hey, happy to be here, see you. Hey, so, Paul. So, okay, Great guys. You don't understand how excited I was when I, when I was talking about, you know, what can we do to incorporate esports? Because, you know, selfishly, we produce a lot of, uh, you know, esports branded um, industry podcasts. And uh, I thought about it. I'm like, well, you know, with Cyberpunk, what, 2077 getting hit uh, with ransomware, I was like, perfect tie in and perfect opportunity to bring something that's very important, right? We keep talking about cybersecurity in business contexts, but what about things that, will touch our everyday lives as far as from an entertainment perspective. So Nigel, before we even go down that path, help me understand the Cyber Warrior Network because I think this is all going to tie in together at the very end. So help us understand why did you start Cyber Warrior Network and what is it? So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, first of all, Cyber Warrior Network is, is positioned um, to be the first cyber esports league. Um, and essentially, we we're, you can think of us as the call of duty for ethical hackers. And we validate knowledge, skills, and abilities while folks play the game. And then we match them up to real-world job opportunities. Um, also, one of the things that we're really proud of is that we were the first um, esports tournament, like true esports tournament, at DEF CON last year. Um, we hosted a tournament. And out of that tournament, um, we took the top 25 and they spoke with companies and leaders from Google, Hulu, Healthmark. And one of the coolest things happened. A 14-year-old girl placed within the top 25. So we were so excited about that. And so was all of the, um, um, you know, the folks from these companies. 
um, you know, to know that. So um, that's what um, uh, Cyber Worry Network is. And as far as how did I get to that and who I am, um, I've been in the Air Force for 20 years. Can't believe it. Um, I did 10 active and the last 10 in the reserves. And from 2014 to 2016, I was the Cyber Veteran Program Manager for the state of Maryland. So part of my job there was to help vets launch businesses and careers within cybersecurity. And then, you know, do the whole Cyber Maryland bit, you know, and, we, you know, we um, kind of engage with all of the big three-letter agencies that you can think of and the Lockheeds and the AT&Ts of the world. So um, what happened was they decided to, to run an article on me. You know, hey, Maryland has this veteran you know, cyber program manager. Um, and within like two weeks, my inbox was flooded with e emails from vets like, hey, you know, Nigel, um, I'm either, um, you know, transitioning out. I'm unemployed, underemployed. How do I go about getting a cybersecurity job? Right. So on the flip side, all of these large employers were saying, hey, Nigel, where's all these great vets we keep hearing about? We finally have somebody who can you know, get inside of the wire and go talk to these vets, you know, hook us up. All right, cool. So I took about, you know, between 40 and 50 resumes, you know, that I kind of just browse through, you know, make sure that, you know, look decent. But, you know, I mean, I'm no app applicant tracking system, right? And I forward those to, um, you know, a whole bunch of these hiring managers. Well, to my surprise, like one or two got hired and only a handful, probably about 10 got interviews. So I was saying like, this doesn't make sense, you know? So I went back, got some feedback from both both sides. And um, what I found out was on the employer side, um, they totally didn't understand what these guys were talking about, right? Um, so, you know, we were working with NIST. Um, the NICE 2.0 framework had just came out. Um, and, you know, I was like, I was looking at this thing like, hmm, what can we do with that, right? So we had set off to create a, uh, a translator, just for military members to to translate, um, you know, their knowledge, skills, and abilities as it pertains to cybersecurity to help them get jobs, right? So, you know, and and I kind of pose this to um, some of the hiring managers, right? Um, you're telling people who are sworn to secrecy to create a narrative on paper, quote unquote, with a resume about the things that they've gone on and, and done, right? Um, <laughs> So, I mean, for the normal person creating a resume, it's daunting, right? So imagine what, you know, you would have to do if you're, if you, um, you know, you have a top secret clearance and you cannot really speak about, um, you know, your work. So um, uh, what I did was we created this um, algorithm, right? And then it's like, you know, then went back to employers. It's like, oh, great. That's, this is what this means. Now I can understand it. All right. Let's, let's start to get some folks hired. Um, but what they were saying as well was, hey, it's good that you did this for military members. Why don't you just do it for everybody else, right? So one of the things that we were very, very adamant about is that we weren't going to be another job hunting um, a firm and another like job board, right? We weren't going to do head hunting and, and, and um, be another um, job board. So how do we do that? Right. So that's that's how the gaming aspect and the esports aspect came in. Right. So, you know, the game is called Cyber Wraith. And um, essentially, it really is the call of duty for ethical hackers. Right. Um, it is totally immersive um, and, you know, kind of walk you through the, the UI. Once you get into the game, um, you'll go. You, there's the academy. Right. So you go through the academy and you're assigned two great people 
like Sia and Paul, right? And mm-hmm. they, they walk you through the UI and you get you go through your training. And as you progress, it becomes less hands-on, right? Then you go out and you go save the world. You know, you get it to hack into drones and cell phones and all that stuff. And you have these um, interfaces that mimic real-world tools, right? And real-world um, uh, scenarios. And by the way, the game, the, the, the challenges in the game were based on um, the most notable hacks of the last 10 years. So um, once you graduate the academy, then it's kind of choose your own um, mission, so to speak. You can go the, the storyline and complete all of those missions, um, which is, you know, over 80 something missions and, you know, well over 130 challenges. And then we validate your knowledge, skills and abilities while you go through that. There's also um, uh, bug bounties, the bounty where, you know, you know, um, uh, we have some challenges that, that's that's, um, you know, created by um, different organizations. But the coolest thing is the open world missions. The open world missions allow, um, you know, especially folks who have been in the industry, probably like Paul for a long time. Um, you go in there, you're you're faced with um, a little bit of information within a real world scenario, and these scenarios can be set up by um, organizations when they are trying to really hone in on specific skill sets, right? And then, so we we do some behavioral um, uh, analytics, and then you know our triggers that we've placed within the game um you know we use that to validate the knowledge skills and abilities so essentially we've operationalized esports in order to fill this 3.5 million cybersecurity um, shortage that we're facing right now so i hear that there's a shortage shortage but then i'm talking to other individuals i think i introduced you to my girlfriend leah right over at cyber future foundation of which slight name dropping we are launching the CISO diaries but that's a different podcast altogether but there's been a challenge of a lot of great folks entering the cybersecurity space or they are professionals like you like that are have the experience but they came from the military which I'm assuming not all the same or they can't talk about all the same applications that they're using right because they're sworn to secrecy um do you think it's because there's just um lack of intelligence from these uh, hiring companies or is it really they're looking for trying to get unicorn skill sets um and trying to get greedy with the talent pool so i I think i think it's um, a little bit of both right on the military side um you know even the the military members a lot of them don't know how their skills and their experience kind of translates into the civilian world right um so you know being able to to um, empower them and let them know, hey, guess what? Here's the the ten jobs that your job um, you know relates to on, on the civilian side, and this is kind of how you demilitarize um, your resume. So, you know, along with 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 kind of you know reducing all of these um, uh, you know like the nomenclature and the and the military jargon, you know, our thought process was why have a resume? You know, resume is is, is something that's that is outdated. Why don't we just validate these knowledge, skills, and abilities, and we do all of the the, the heavy work on the background with our matching algorithm, right? Uh, and then on the employer side, um, specifically when it comes to the military, is that they just don't understand, right? They, mm-hmm. they don't understand it. But you will find that um, one of the biggest problems, I think, in the industry is that people are using buzzwords or keywords, and they're all right. scrambling to get the top placements on Indeed or Monster or whatever it is, right? And the problem is that a lot of um, a lot of the descriptions are left to um, the HR folks, and they simply are not technical people because the technical people in the organization is 
overworked, overwhelmed, and they're dealing with these ransoms, right? So, um, you know, they'll get these generic kind of job descriptions and they'll put it out there. So it's really they don't know what they don't know. Now, if you think about it from a startup side, a startup, you know, if a startup, um, if, if they have a cybersecurity individual, that's a godsend right there. You know what I'm saying? Um, because of the the um, the demand on the market. Right. And, you know, some of these larger organizations, they understand that the name of the game is poaching. Right. So it's almost like, um, you know, the it's 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 a draft. Right. Every day it's a draft. You know, let's go see how we can find these unicorns. Right. Um, and then you have a very small amount of unicorns and then the rest, you know, it kind of just fight over it. Wow, that's crazy. That I, I can't wait to learn more about Cyber Warrior Network and what you're seeing there. So let's shift this over a little bit. So, you know, when we're looking and we're thinking about, you know, the the battleground that is ransomware and the attacks that we're seeing, and quite frankly, a lot of the you know, we've talked about this before, the, you know, the big game trophy hunting or big game hunting, right? You're going after the big dollar uh, ransomware attacks. That doesn't necessarily mean that uh, industries are immune to it. So let's talk about the video game industry, for example, right? Because esports is going to come back and it's going to come back in full force because now you've got these kids and adults that have been playing games. And now when they come up with these like, you know, stadiums where you've got these big tournaments taking place, now we've got some issues where you've got the location being a big target for those that might l look at some level of exposure to the network. So, Paul, like, help me if you can help me clarify for a little bit what I'm trying to describe is these tournaments are going to have like huge long tables of a bunch of consoles, right? Whether it's a PC or gaming console, whatever. And mm -hmm. uh, they're all going to be connected to the Internet, right? So, well, they're going to have a local network. That's going to go out to some sort of an internet connection, right? Usually, depending on the venue, but yeah, right. And so, but if you think about that potential of that, how great would it be if you had a black hat come in saying, "I'm going to, you know, mess around with this event and I'm going to do something." And oh, wait, the people that are putting on the event, maybe they've got money that maybe this is a huge sponsored event and they hack into it and they want to get access to that database or whatever that asset that they're going after. Um, so let's talk about this, you guys, from um, an, the Eve event specifically. What things should we be looking out for if we're going to be throwing on an event or like when you've got these middle schoolers and high schoolers throwing on events? Is it just a matter of having a good firewall? Like what else is there? What what other endpoint security? Is it still a multi-layer, you know, uh, policies that we have to put together what is it then that they need to look out for well ideally you would have some sort of a zero trust arrangement um you okay, know so, so that, that they mean, could though? well that means that you would isolate you know gamer a from gamer b you know so he can't mess around because i mean think about it if you're younger or in high school i mean we always used to mess around in high school i know i did right and that was like the the early days you know i'll probably date myself here but they used to have something called WinNuke, right? If you remember back in the day when it was, it went after a very specific um, set of uh, vulnerabilities on your Windows laptop. And if you downloaded this little application, you could just find your buddies. And if they were on the same network, you press a little button and then nuke them out of the sky. And then their, you know, their computer would crash. And it was just good fun, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, because, you know, and especially if he was, if they were in the middle of playing a game, you know, that could actually, you know, escalate. So you would want some sort of a solution where you could, either, you know, there's multiple technologies that you can use to isolate it. You know, so, so that. 
So realistically speaking, just as much as you would look at perimeter um, physical security for any events, there is a very big component and need for security at these huge um, esports events. Now, it's, you're going to have to have an IT. Oh, it's absolutely. not just AV. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at, you guys, is when events come back into play again, I'm picking on esports because that seems to be this is our topic of interest is you don't hire just an AV company. You need to hire an uh, whoever's doing audio and vis visual. There's got to be a IT based organization that has security that's going to be able to connect this entire land right from scratch. Right. If you think about it and be able to, again, build up this network but make it secure. So that's what I'm trying to get at you guys is the fact that it, past events, they used to say, oh yeah, you would just tr trust the venue to give you an ethernet cable and call it a day. But I don't think that's the matter. I don't think that's the situation anymore. Is that an accurate description? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, we have to kind of look at it even from, um, you know, a supply chain perspective, right? You know, um, or, or are you going to um, implement, uh, you know, BYOD, right? Bring your own device, um, you know, who gets access to the different layers of the network and, um, you know, are those, are those things, you know, is it just a sandbox and, and, you know, essentially we're, you know, we're not going out into the, um, you know, in ether or, you know, is everything self-contained, um, you know, within the actual event, right? I think, I think what's even um, at risk here is not necessarily, you know, in, well, if you kind of bring it back into ransomware, right? Um, you've had people who've paid millions of dollars to put on an event, right? And um, somebody, you know, their system is hit and saying, hey, you know, um, you won't be able to run this event and you have 10,000 people who already paid for it if you don't give us $3 million, right? And I'm just kind of throwing off these numbers here, right? So, you know, I think that the content and, and that's really in the in the esports industry, the content when you talk about content is king. So for streamers and Twitch, YouTube, all of these platforms are making money off of the content. Right. So I think, you know, the 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 bigger fish within, you know, this pond that we're talking about here is the content vulnerabilities. Right. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the, the bigger vulnerabilities is the actual, um, you know, not just the data from, you know, uh, the, the actual personal um, information, but, you know, actually the, the content, right? So what I think we'll, you, you will see will spin, will spin out is probably some, uh, you know, probably industry best practices, right? Um, you know, as we start to gather more data and more information about the vulnerabilities that, that'll be exposed. And then, um, you know, maybe these, um, the actual uh, providers will get, you know, um, either companies or uh, or MSPs with that type of service specifically for esports to indemnify themselves during, um, you know, larger events as we grow in, in cybersecurity. See, and I think that's a great opportunity for people to understand that there is a um, option in esports career and industry i think sometimes when people think of gaming and all that they're like oh well i'm not a good player anymore so therefore esports is not for me i mean there's just like any real industry there are such so many skill sets that need to go in to build it up right and component and security is huge so let's talk about why security is so huge let's let's shift over from the event side to the devs side You've got all these creators, right? Pull, you know, cranking out awesome games, but their IP is the product. And so, perfect example: what Cyberpunk uh, was it 2077? Uh, Red, I forgot their name. Red. Oh gosh, what is their name, you guys? Um, 
Cyberpunk. It escapes uh, me as well. I know. I had it written down too. There's so much for preparing myself, right? Um, CD Project Red. Yeah, CD Project Red. So they got nailed, and they did the ransom, and they said, you know what? Fine, get access to the open source code. Have at it. Let's see what you do with it, kind of thing. And but there are some companies that will pay ransom, right? So if we are a uh, development house where you might have thought you weren't a target before, should you make the investments now? So what would be your recommendation, Nigel, if you're talking to like, oh, I don't know, a gearbox, for example? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, 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 the vulnerabilities, um, you know, even from the hardware side is tremendous, right? Um, and, you know, you definitely don't want to be on you know, the first article on Google where, you know, that, you know, some breach was because of your um, hardware or even software, right? Um, now, when you go down to specifically the um, dev side, you know, and building secure applications, that is going to be a huge need from now till eternity, right? So when, when you, when you get, so <laughs> let me kind of take a step back. So about three years ago, um, and even still to this day, it was really, really difficult to get somebody um, who had cloud experience to kind of marry that up with security, right? So when you look in at, at the technology with, you know, like the Unity um, uh, framework within the games, there, there, are, there are multiple ways to create these exploits, right? So it has to start with secure development. And you have to create these games and these applications starting with security and then figure on how to enable it from a programming side. And that's from the cradle to the grave. Um, Paul, what's your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. In the early days, security was an external feature. And I always frame it as an external versus internal. And, you know, the world has gone towards the cloud, which, you know, you it's more of a marketing term than anything else. But... You know, it's essentially, it's still a data center. And, you know, the, the whole idea now that uh, applications in general, you know, uh, uh, almost everywhere, they're, they're native to the cloud. So the idea versus, of internal versus external, it doesn't make as much sense anymore, you know, which is why they keep bringing up, you know, the whole concept of zero trust, which is a fancy way of saying, you know, like, I think exactly to your point of the security Features have to be built into whatever application you use on the internet nowadays because there is no inside, outside, us or them, you know, safe place. Oh, we're on the corporate network. We're safe. Right. You know, that's right. that's just not true anymore. And it's, you know, in this example, you're in the esports arena, you know, you're in some place or you're in the coffee shop, right? Like how many people, how, how many examples do they have of somebody going to the coffee shop and not using a VPN, going out over some shared Wi-Fi solution, and it's it's even worse if it's not a Starbucks. If they don't, you know, if it's a local mom and pop kind of place, it could be a ten-year-old Netgear, you know, with no kind of security on it, you know, because that they don't know any different. You know, they they know how to make coffee. They don't. They're they're not network security professionals. So I think right. I think this is a really good spot right here. Is you know, for this conversation, it was really to define you know 
what is it that we're seeing in cybersecurity with esports specifically? Because it is such a hot and growing industry. Uh, the numbers before the pandemic, they were saying it was forecasted to hit a billion in 2022. Well, that's now raised up to 2.2 or 2.5 billion. So that that tells you the 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 dollars and cents. They're seeing that shift where where esports is starting to shoot up. And again, it's just a fragment of the whole video game industry. But that shooting up is actually starting to overtake other areas of entertainment like traditional mm -hmm. sports. They said like NFL, for example, their viewing has dropped. Uh, NBA actually has remained steady, but hockey, that one's um, I think it's fluctuated as well. So I feel like this topic is going to get hotter and hotter. So that's why we're doing a multiple series on this. So the next one, so today was all about setting the tone and setting the backdrop of what we're seeing in esports, the applications of esports in security. And uh, the next two are actually going to be a little bit more deeper. Second one's going to be going into the specifics of attacks like the Cyberpunk 2077 and um, how they got hacked. And the last part, and it's going to be my favorite one because I'm really thrilled and really interested to hear what you have to say, Nigel, is the future, what you're envisioning where cybersecurity is going to play an instrumental role in the next five to 10 years of esports? You know, where are we going with that? So, on that note, Nigel LeBlanc, thank you so much for joining us for today. Paul, do you have any last parting thoughts? I don't actually. <laughs> Other for once, you're verklempt? What? Uh, been a long week, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, thank you so much. So before, if anyone doesn't, uh, if, if someone listens to this out of order, how can they get a hold of you uh, and Cyber Warrior Network? Uh, really easy, Nigel at CyberWarriorNetwork.com. It's my email and you can follow us on every social media platform. Well, I should say every, but um, we have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, LinkedIn. And uh, all of the handles is CWN Cyber. No TikTok? You're not on TikTok? Not, not yet. <laughs> I can't wait to see those dances. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on that note, we're going to be dancing away out of this one. So that wraps it up for another episode of the Ransomware Battleground. See you next time. <laughs>